Yankees Files podcast, Whipple, it was a tough week, but I'm Will Harris, you're Alec Whipple, everyone else we thank so much for listening and coming back to us despite the intensely disappointing performances of this ridiculously talented baseball team. Uh, It was a two and three week when it probably could have and should have been a lot better than that. Two really painful walk-off losses uh, in back-to-back games against the Twins and Phillies. And um, really just a week that should have gone a lot better for the Yankees. Whipple, what did you see this week? Yeah, like you said, it, it should have been better. We started off with the those two opening games against the Twins. The Yankees were hitting. The pitching was largely on point. And it seemed like things were going to turn around in the way that we anticipated last week. And um, right up until the last inning of the Twins series, it still seemed like that. Um, listen, we've talked a lot about our role as Chapman, and you can't, fault a pitcher for having a bad bad outing when he's literally had no bad outings this year that's gonna happen um saturday's game was a little more frustrating because um the the extra inning chicanery the manfred ball that we all know and hate only came about because jameson tyon had a terrible outing on the road again giving up four runs in less than an inning so digging the yankees in a hole that they needed to get to manfred ball to even have a chance to win was uh, not what you want. And then today's game was just, uh, they came out flat. Aaron Knoll is a great pitcher. The offense wasn't there, and Domingo Herman didn't have it. So it was kind of a, a week where you couldn't really pin one reason for the losses. I think the overarching reason was the pitching faltering, where it's been so good this year. But it was a, a little bit of everything. Um, it was a, a little bit of a, a bullpen slip. It was a little bit of a starting pitching slip. And then today, it was an offensive slip. So... Yeah, just not not a great week um, when it started off so promising. Yeah, I mean, especially the way the pitching was for most of the year, I hardly would have believed you if you had told me that the Yankees would have a um, a stretch in which they gave up six plus runs in three straight, four straight games. I mean. Obviously, game two against the Twins maybe doesn't count quite as much for that because, um, you know, it was just Brooks Krisky and it was disappointing. It was a disappointing way to turn a blowout into a closer game and have to get Chapman up. But, like, you really, you wouldn't have expected this from this pitching staff. And it's a shame that it coincided with the bats kind of starting to fire up a little bit because they lost two very winnable games as a result of pitching faltering. Like, look, they got, what, three hits today against the Phillies? Um, They weren't going to win that game. But the bats were alive in game three against the Twins and game one against Philadelphia, and you just you just can't be losing those games. But Whipple, it's important to remember that the Yankees started off this week well. It was a bad week, but it started off well. Um, The Yankees faced old friend Mike Pineda in Minnesota, and while they didn't really jump on him, uh, you know, they scored in very 2021 New York Yankees ways, a walk and a wild pitch. Um, Once Pineda got out of the game, the bats actually came alive. We had a sack fly, and then we had some fielder's choices, so maybe I spoke a little bit too soon. But late in the game, in the top of the ninth, 
against the Twins, with the Yankees only ahead 5-3. We had Gary Sanchez homer because it is, of course, hot Gary Summer. And we had Miguel Andujar launch a ball. And those are two guys who have been hitting really well and who continued it, uh, you know, really throughout this whole week. Uh, so the Yankees won the first game against the Twins 8-4. to They won the next game against the Twins 9-6, to but it was 9-2 to going into the ninth inning. Uh, they jumped on the Uber driver Randy Dobnak early. We had Aaron Judge homering. We had Brett Gardner with an extra base hit. We had Stanton with his first of two homers. Uh, he hit another later, and Duhar hit another deep home run. Um, and he had a sack fly later in the game. Um, and then, yeah, Brooks Krisky came in and kind of messed it all up. Um, but that should have been a blowout. The Yankees win 9-6. It's their first win of the year when they allow five-plus runs. And then it looked like Game 3 against the Twins, I mean, they were in position to sweep the entire time. They they started, uh, they went into the bottom of the ninth with, uh, I think, like a 92% win probability. You know, Stanton hit another home run. Uh, Urshela hit a home run, which was awesome. Um LeMahieu was driving in runs. Uh, I mean, it was just all like really good stuff until we got to the ninth inning of game three against the Twins and Chapman saw four hitters and they all got hits and two of those hits were home runs and all of those hits were absolutely scorched. And it felt like the series in Minnesota that turned the season around had turned the season right back around and it just snowballed in the Phillies series when Jamison Tyone came in and could hardly get an out in the first inning of Game 1 and just dug the Yankees right back into the hole that it felt like they had dug themselves out of. Yeah, I mean, it, it was frustrating. Like I said, Chapman's been so good all year, and, you know, it's hard to give someone a pass when they blow the game, but it's just one of those things that happens. There's been plenty of games this year that Chapman has um, locked down and prevented the Yankees from losing, and to, to have it kind of go this way and, it, you know, it, it kind of blew up in dramatic fashion. Like, he didn't he didn't just lose on some bloops. He lost on some massive home runs. So it happens. Um, it, I think it was frustrating because of the situation they're in. And we all know how good they are against the Twins. And like you said, that should be appreciated. They had a very good opening uh, two games in the series. And we, ha- we saw home runs from guys who weren't hitting home runs. We saw good pitching from Jordan Montgomery, Garrett Cole, the bullpen. Um, and it seemed like after Chapman, it just reverted right back to what it's, what's been going on. And Tyon, who has been absolutely terrible on the road this year, has an 11.12 ERA in five road starts, which is absurdly bad. Batters are batting 385 against him on the road, basically turning every hitter into peak Barry Bonds. Um, and his 5.74 ERA kind of obscures that he's pitched pretty well at Yankee Stadium, actually. He's not providing length, but... His 3.22 ERA is not something you would think was a terrible problem, but it's those road starts that are just killing him. And Herman today gave up the most runs by a Yankee starter since James Paxton in 2019. And uh, that's what we've kind of said this year. This has been a different Yankees team than the past, but this week it kind of seemed like the old Yankees team in a bad way. They're giving up lots of runs and scoring lots of runs and, you know, not coming out on the right side of it for much of the back half of the weekend. But 
Uh, I mean, something's got to click with this team. It's like you plug one hole and another leak springs. And after a while, it's just, it's you know, you have to get everything clicking at the same time. After a while, you can't win games when you are supporting one-third of your team that is doing really poorly. Um, and that's kind of how the Yanks have played this year. The offense is doing poorly. The pitching does well. This week, it was the opposite. And it's tough because, like you said, they're so talented um, and they just haven't been on the same page. And when they are, they do very well, but that can be said for a lot of teams. They have to show that they're capable of being on uh, the same page with the hitters doing well, pitchers doing well. The bullpen's honestly done pretty well all year. I don't really fault them for anything. Um, but I know we want to talk about some of the guys this week who did have good weeks, like you mentioned, and who we're seeing signs of life from. And I think we should start with DJ LeMahieu because you are the ground ball are bad slugging balls in the air you're good that's kind of your your uh propon- you're a proponent of that you've been harping on that on twitter you've brought a lot of interesting and cool statistics to that debate to show people um and i think the poster child for that problem with the yankees has been dj lemayhew but this week we saw maybe not a different lemayhew but a much improved lemayhew something that if he continues to hit as he did this week for the rest of the year that really changes the complexion of the Yankees lineup so what did you think of DJ's performance this week was it um did it did it give you signs of optimism that he'll be a bigger contributor in the coming weeks yeah I I would say it absolutely did I think that um you know DJ LeMahieu has never been a consistent ball in the air guy as a Yankee. And I think that's important to remember when we're considering um you know what we what we should expect from him. Um but he's definitely been lifting the ball lately. I mean, we needn't look no further than the game-tying home run he hit uh on Saturday against the Phillies. The thing that I'm more interested in with DJ LeMahieu is his hard hit rate, which when we were discussing last week was basically like, you know, I think it was almost 10 percentage points off where it's been uh, throughout his Yankees career, is now up to 43%. He was at 45.7 last year. Like, he's hitting the ball hard. Um, he's underachieving relative to his expected stats. You know, he was previously a massive overachiever compared to his expected stats but you know expected slug has him 55 points above where he is expected woba has him 32 points above where he is uh and he's starting to hit the ball hard he's starting to lift the ball you know his his average launch angle is now in between where it was in 2019 and 2020 like i'm i think we're seeing signs of life from DJ LeMahieu in what I would call like a real way. Um, and what I mean by a real way is the underlying stats support that there are signs of life. His line drive rate is creeping into, um, you know, the territory where it's been before his fly ball rate is creeping up to his 2019 rate. Um, like we are seeing the kinds of things that I would want to see from DJ LeMahieu to convince me that he's going to be productive as the season moves on. And I really think the major indicator for him that we should be paying attention to is hard hit. Uh, his exit velocity is back up into the 90s. It had fallen into the 80s. It's still about a mile an hour to a mile an hour and a half off of where he was 
in 2019 and 2020. And obviously we will want to see that creep up. But um, DJ LeMayhew is progressing in a way that appears sustainable. And he's trending towards the hitter that he was and that we got to know. And, you know, obviously I don't expect him to hit 336, which is what he hit for his first two years, um, any longer. I think that expecting that from any hitter in the modern game is is ridiculous. But DJ LeMayhew is doing the kinds of things that indicate that, like, we're going to see some of his power come back and we're going to see those line drives. And, you know, as he continues to hit the ball hard, we're going to see some more extra base hits. And, you know, if this weekend and this week, even if the games didn't go great on the whole, was, uh, you know, the first sign that we're seeing of that and we could have a hot DJ summer, like that could really change the complexion of this offense and it could buoy a pitching staff that we know to some degree had to come back to earth at some point. Yeah, I mean, we all know like the the bars, the nightclubs are open. It's DJ was obviously just waiting for those restrictions to lift before he manned his booth and uh, got ready for the summer. So I think that's your answer. But I yeah, we're, we're about to get DJ LeMayhew's club mix all summer. No, I agree. I agree with you. Having DJ at the top of that lineup was such a game changer for the Yankees in 2019 and 2020 because uh, especially in 2019, I mean, that team didn't really have a lot of injury luck. I I'd argue the guys are more healthy this year than they were that year. And we, Oh, far more healthy. Right. There was a lot of, uh, you know, next man up and, you know, the Gio Urshela's Luke Voigt's coming out of the woodwork, but a lot of that was DJ LeMahieu getting on base for guys who were able to drive him in, and that's a game changer. This year, we've seen so many innings of, you know, ex-hitter coming to the plate with no one on um, because DJ LeMay just hasn't had that impact at the top of the lineup. So having him at the top of the lineup along with Judge, who's been great all year, is the one-two combo that's going to take this Yankees team to success. And I think um, there's a lot of, you know, who's going to be the most important hitter for the lineup. Is it Stanton? Is it Judge? Is it Torres? Gary? But I think DJ is the guy who's just he's different. He has a different role than any of them. He's not going to be able to hit home runs. You know, in 2019 he had a lot, but the juice ball has made that uh, a little more tough when you know it gets dejuiced. But um, what DJ can do is give you a better at bat than I think most people on the Yankees. Uh, we've said so often. Who would you want to see at the plate? Two outs in the ninth inning. I will say DJ LeMahieu, even if he's batting 230, his approach is just so good. And he gives you confidence that he's going to put bat to ball. And, you know, it hasn't been that way for most of this year. But I think we're seeing that hitter again. And that makes a, a really exciting proposition for this lineup. Yeah, I mean, Whipple, the we, we should be clear about this. The answer to that question that you posed is Aaron Judge. But um, of course. But yeah, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. And in the way that we've seen. There's some common regression that we've seen between Gio Urshela and DJ LeMahieu, and basically they were elite bat-to-ball, elite or relatively good hard-hit guys. And they've both lost some of that bat-to-ball this year. Uh, and it does appear that DJ's getting it back, and obviously, um, you know, if, if Gio can get some of that back as well, his strikeout rate has kind of ballooned um which and of course he's not a guy who slugs at such a level that he creates a ton of value despite striking out a lot I mean he's striking out almost 25 percent of the time this year uh he was striking out 14 percent of the time last year and 18 percent in 2019 uh 
despite the fact that his slugging is also down. Like these guys who have elite bat to ball skills, and I think you can even count Glaber Torres in that group, and he's found a way to be slightly more productive uh, this year in spite of his like lack of hard hit. We just need these guys, as we've been saying for a couple weeks now, just to kind of settle into their groove. Um, and I don't know what other way to put it. And I think that exactly what you said about DJ LeMahieu is correct. And he is settling into his groove. He is finding the DJ LeMahieu that we came to know and love. And having that guy at the top of the lineup, getting on base consistently, poking some extra base hits out there, maybe launching a couple of homers, like... The dynamic that that gives to this lineup, especially if you can put him out there ahead of, uh, you know, Judge and Glaber and Stanton and, you know, Gary, who's playing really well, like that could that could really change things. And I am I can accept these first 65 games if this team continues to kind of coalesce and find its offensive identity and mash for the rest of the year and as disappointed as I am with the events of this week, I really think that's kind of on the table for, you know, what we might see moving forward. Yeah, no, I think it absolutely is. I mean, you know, the the Twins and the Phillies don't have the best pitching staffs, but there's some real signs of life that the Yankees just weren't showing against anyone this year. Like at this point, we just need to see something good against someone. And heading up to Buffalo this week to play the Blue Jays and to play the A's, like at this point, it doesn't really matter who they're playing. They just have to win games. And I think the signs of life is is great. And I'm, you know, I think they just need to start turning those into wins. Um, and like you said, there's a lot, a lot of season left. And I know it's, at times it sounds like a broken record, but um, the way the Yankees were winning, I guess, a few weeks ago in their hot stretch, it, it was a way. And I think. Mike Exisa and his excellent Patreon newsletter said this better than I could. It, it was a way that you never felt like very confident in them. Like you enjoyed watching the pitching was great, but it, it didn't feel like they were clicking on all cylinders. And I think, yeah, they always had a very tenuous grip on any game that they were winning. Exactly. I think this team is built around its offense. We've said it so many times, but the way this team is going to win is if they hit, they were not built to win if they weren't going to hit. And so Getting the hitting there, but not the winning, is honestly like a better sign to me than you know if they had gone two and three, but won the games two to nothing and you know three to one. Like that, this is was a real week of offensive progress um, from Lemayhew, from Stanton who had a great series in Minnesota, from Gary, from Miggy. Um, just everybody really had a moment this week where you you thought they might be able to uh, c- carry it on into future weeks and provide elements to this lineup that we didn't see previously. So that that part does make me optimistic. I do agree with you there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we're beginning to see some, uh, we're beginning to see some guys come back from injury. Um, you know, Zach Britton is back. It sounds like it's only a week until Luke Voigt is back. Like that makes a real difference for this team. Zach Britton reduces the number of times that you have to bring Wandy Peralta into competitive games. Luke Voigt reduces the number of times that Rugnet Odor, who is, you know, potentially heating up a little bit, but has hardly been better than average in any season since like 2016, um, or Chris Gittens has to be in the lineup. Uh, you know, we hope that Aaron Judge's back spasms are nothing serious. 
uh, and that this off day allows him to rest up and be ready to play in Buffalo. And obviously, Stanton will be back because it wasn't an injury thing. It was a National League Park thing. But, you know, if they're just six games away uh, from having Luke Voigt back in this lineup and they can roll out, you know, the the real murderer's row minus Aaron Hicks, uh, the fully operational Death Star when it when they play Kansas City and Boston in a couple weeks, like or in only I guess about nine days now. That's that's serious. Like just make it through this week against Toronto and against Oakland and then come out swinging when you get to play Kansas City, Boston, Angels, Mets, Mariners, and suddenly it's, you know, just past 4th of July weekend and you just rattled off a real hot streak. Like, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but, you know, Aaron Judge has been one of the best hitters in the league all year. Giancarlo Stanton looks to be, you know, back in his groove. Miguel Andujar is heating up. Even Brett Gardner is heating up. DJ LeMayhew is heating up. Gio Urshela is going to find it. Glaber's been productive. We're having a hot Gary summer. Like, I really feel like this offense is starting to click and is only going to get better. And as bad as some of the pitching has been, like, we know sort of in our minds where we expect them to be and the bullpen that just got Britain back and is going to get O'Day back is going to be even better and it can take some of the load off the starters like gosh Whipple I every time I get down on this team I just find a reason to convince myself that like they're actually really good yeah and I think that's what made everything so frustrating I think that honestly in my opinion the starting pitching is the biggest problem right now because of Corey Kluber's absence because Luis Severino had a setback in his rehab start, which is probably going to delay his return to the big league team. And fingers crossed, it's nothing more than a delay. Um, and the talent everywhere else is so it's, there's so much talent congregated in the offense and bullpen. And I think they need a starter. I mean, I think that you have Cole and the Montgomery Herman duo is okay. They're, they're fine. Uh, better than average a lot of times, but Tyon this weekend just showed like he has a long way to go before he can be a pitcher in a competitive rotation. And Mike King is not really someone you want to be relying on. So I agree with you. I think that the offense in the bullpen is making me feel good, especially the offense hitting the way it has. And that was the thing like that with for all the offensive hand wringing, there wasn't much you could do than just to hope these guys were going to play to their career levels. I think they need a starter and I think they need a good starter and we'll see how they approach this. But I think that's the difference with this team, um, and that's what's going to make them, as it has every year, they've always been a starter too short. Um, that's what's if gonna Brian Cashman on. called you, if Brian Cashman called you and said the Yankees can either get a starting pitcher or a center fielder, who would you take? I would honestly say a starting pitcher because I just think that that rotation is not going to hold up in a playoff series, and I don't want to be relying on. Corey Kluber and Luis Severino. Like, I think we have this conversation every year, but this lineup is good. As we've said, it can be good. And if it's not good, then they're not going to win. That's the simple truth of it. Ideally, they're going to get both a pitcher and a center fielder. But if the lineup can't support, you know, Brett Gardner or whoever else in center field, 
than you know with the rest of the guys they're not going to be good anyway but this pitching staff like that's the missing piece is a number two starter what we thought Corey Kluber could have been what we think Luis Severino could be we need someone to pair with Cole and to provide uh to, to kind of shove Montgomery and Herman back a spot and to make this rotation seem deeper uh, one other thing I actually do want to mention is uh, I, I would like to have the Mike Talkman conversation because I think there's a lot of we shouldn't have traded Talkman. Um, actually, I live with a Giants fan. I see Talkman's highlights more than I would like to. Talkman is not doing well, okay? I would like to say he's batting 179. He has a 586 OPS. He's had like two clutch home runs and two really good catches. I know it seems like he's doing well every day. He's not doing well. You would be complaining about him still if he was on the Yankees. So just for everyone out there, that's my Mike Talkman spiel. He's not doing as well as you think. Mike Talkman's WRC Plus is 74. Brett Gardner has basically been the worst hitter on the Yankees. His is 81. Clint Frazier does not play every day, and his is 78. So exactly. Mike Talkman is worse than the worst hitters on the Yankees. Uh, Mike Talkman plays elite outfield defense. I don't actually know if that's true, but people keep saying it. Um, I'm a lot more worried about a guy who can actually, like, I don't know, create runs. The thing that this team has repeatedly failed to do and the thing that Mike Talkman has failed to do throughout his entire baseball career, basically. Um then I would have a guy who is like 90th percentile outs above average. Like, I'm sorry, but you, I, I, there's no room for Mike Talkman on this team, no matter how good or bad Wandy Peralta is. Like, let's, let's say the Yankees don't even have Wandy Peralta. Whose playing time do you want to give to Mike Talkman? That's the question that nobody can answer because there's not an answer to it. So I pose my question, or I pose your question back to you. Do you agree with me? Do you think the pitching is the, the the um where they should prioritize in the deadline again given that i think they should get both a starting pitcher and a center fielder your question was if they picked one who would they get do you think it's the center fielder or do you think it's the starter what's more important so i mean obviously the cop-out answer is i want to know what's actually wrong with luis severino like because if it's if it's luis severino got a cramp then like yeah i i would i would say throw every resource at an outfielder who's going to really upgrade this lineup but obviously not being able to assume that and with the understanding that you don't want to just depend on a bunch of guys who are coming back from injury the Yankees have tried that um I I agree at this point that I think it has to be a starting pitcher um as much as yeah, and I think it's really fueled by my belief in regression to the mean for this offense that they cannot stay bad. It's just it's just not realistic for them to stay bad. And we saw them have a number of good games in a row. Obviously, they got shut down by Nola today, but good offenses get shut down by really good pitchers all the time. Um Yeah, I I think they need to get a starting pitcher. Now, if we want to really get into this like I don't think they're going to get Max Scherzer. So, like, I don't know who they would get. I don't know, like, are they going to get Mike Miner? Like, I, I, I think there's a serious question. I know you talked about Herman Marquez and you talked about 
you know, the many failed pitchers on the Angels, and maybe you take one of those guys on as kind of a project. But even then, that's more of, with the exception of maybe Marquez, who could be very good. Um, a lot of the guys out there are much more Jaime Garcia than they are, um, you know, who's an impact guy that the Yankees didn't get recently. Zach Granke. Zach Granke. Like, I, although I am willing to agree with you that having a frontline starter could be a greater area of need with the way that things are playing out for the Yankees this year, um, it also seems like a much more difficult upgrade to actually succeed at making. Yeah, I, I think there is uh, merit to that. I think I think there are pitchers. There's uh, the ones you mentioned. There's the Matthew Boyds of the world. There's the Jose Barrios. That that would be an upgrade for the Yankees. But um, I know Scherzer's the guy that everyone wants, and I, I don't think that's super likely. Um, I, I agree. I think based on our conversation with Ryan the other week, there is a lot more attra- there are a lot more attractive options in the outfield market than there are in the pitching market. And that's just one of those things you can't control at every deadline. You don't know who's going to be available. You don't know who might pop out of the woodwork. Um, there are quite a few pitchers that we might think, you know, might be off limits that could become available. Um, and it's just how much are the Yankees willing to push it? Like, what I don't know right now and what I'm actually curious about is, like, how do they view this team? Like, obviously, they're underperforming. But in my mind, this is, you know, this year, next year, the, the this is the end of the window that started in 2017. And I don't know if the Yankees always view it like that. Sometimes I think they view it like we want to just keep the window open for as long as possible and we're not going to prioritize any specific year. So we're not going to sell the farm. We're going to just get a team that's competitive and keep pushing it out there, which, again, is fine. They've been competitive for the last few years. I just think sometimes we get in the mindset of, like, this is the year. we got to go all in. And I don't know if the Yankees ever think like that. And that really will dictate who is available to them in terms of what they're willing to give up and just in terms of... Um, who you know how how high they're willing to reach for a target as opposed to uh, I think Joel Sherman in an article this morning was mentioning their strategy might be more something like a 2014 where you had Jeter's last year you had a very flawed team um, I think this year's team is better but you had a underperforming team that the Yankees were willing to bolster at the deadline and that year you saw Martin Prado get traded to them you saw Stephen Drew you saw Brandon McCarthy you saw Chase Headley so not guys who are going to blow you away but Guys were going to help, and I don't think that'd be a bad thing. Um, I think, you know, gun to my head, that's kind of the likely outcome here. We got a few guys who you're not going to have to trade the farm for, but are going to help around the edges and be better than the guys that are there right now. And um, and with the offense, that is tough because of, you know, when you have an underperforming guy, you don't necessarily know if he's going to be better than, you know, the guy for the rest of the season. Um, so on the pitching side, however, I think that is a little easier because, I think we can say there are holes in the rotation that we know we can fill quite easily. Um, maybe not easily in terms of who's out there, but just in terms of if they want to get someone, there's a hole they can plug them into. Do we have a good reason why Davy Garcia isn't making starts for this team? Absolutely not. I mean, at this point, like it's just 40% of the starts are going to Jamison Tyone and Mike King. And you're telling me there's no room for Davy Garcia like that. I, ugh, and that, that really gets to me. It really, really gets to me that the Yankees, you know, rushed this guy through the minors, potentially rushed him to the major leagues. He's been, you know, as we've detailed, 
relatively successful, especially for someone of his age at the major league level. Um, I think his, you know, his ERA this year is not good, but he showed us some good things in that first game against Baltimore. And then I'm blanking on why I was willing to dismiss the Tigers performance. Oh, it was he got screwed by defense, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. I'm not 100% so, sure, but given this Yankees team, that makes sense. <laughs> no, it, it, it was that. It was that. Um, they were making him get like seven outs an inning. Um, Davey Garcia, 100%, should be making starts for this team. Um, like, look, he's he's been called up twice. He was on the team last year. He's on the team this year. Like, he's your 22-year-old potential future really good starter. He's going to be a free agent in 2027 pretty much no matter how you slice it. So, play the kid. Like, I, I it's, it's amazing to me that I have to be lobbying for this when they're giving 40% of the starts to Mike King and Jamison Tyone. And look, I will say, Jamison Tyone definitely getting a little bit unlucky. Um, Jamison Tyone is not, uh, is, is not as bad as the pitcher that we have seen, but Jamison Tyone is not a number, you know, three or four pitcher in this situation. Um, and the team can't act like he is. And I really, I, I really just feel like even if they're exploring making moves, things are bad enough that you have to, you know, look at the options that you have internally for now. Um, you know, and I see no problem with pitching Davey every fifth day or even every seventh day, like messing with openers a little bit, like throwing Loisga out there and then following up with even following up with King or throwing Loisga out there and following up with Nestor or Sessa, just like, Shake things up in some way that you don't just start these games behind. Exactly. And that's the frustrating thing about the way the Yankees have used the opener. Their strategy is let's start a bad pitcher as the opener and then get him out of the way. I mean, Nick Nelson is the opener. Nick Nelson's not a good pitcher. The whole point of the opener is to start off with a really good guy facing the top of the lineup and then bring in a bulk guy who doesn't have to do that. And like, honestly, like there's a case to be made that some of these guys should be getting an openers past the guys you were saying that, Tyones or Montgomery's who have struggled in the first inning. So, yeah, I mean, I think to kind of put a bow on all this, something has to be done pitching-wise to shake things up in the rotation because you have a pitcher who's doing well and you're not pitching them. You have a pitcher who's doing poorly and you keep running them out there. It's just you're going to keep losing games. I mean, you know, we're the middle of the season and Tyone is not ready to pitch at this level right now. Maybe as a reliever, maybe he just needs some time to figure it out, but they don't have that time to give. Mike King shouldn't be pitching at this level now or maybe not in the future. Um, I just think, you know, the complacency definitely bothers me a little bit. Um, and Davey is the un most unforgettable part of that. Yeah. Like, in the same way that it was malpractice not to at least, like, see what you had in Chris Gittins, um, it's malpractice not to have Davey Garcia up. And Whipple... We've been pretty negative. The Yankees have given us a lot of stuff to be negative about. We did highlight some positives. I mean, Aaron Judge may win the MVP award. 
Giancarlo Stanton's hitting bombs again, including off of J.A. Happ, which was intensely, intensely enjoyable. Um, you know, Miggy Barrels is back, which is sick. It's hot Gary Summer. Uh, he has like the third highest weighted runs created on the team. So there's there's a lot to be excited about as the weather warms up, and I hope the Yankees do too. But you gave us a great opportunity to reminisce. Uh, earlier this week when you posted your ranking of walk-off homers of the Baby Bomber era. Um, and I think that it's just probably a good time now for us to reminisce about some walk-offs that we've enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, as Yankees fans, we've been so lucky to see a lot of exciting games, a lot of fun walk-off home runs. And sometimes, you know, when things aren't going as well for the current team, it's just fun to pull out the highlight reel and look at some past games and that's what I took an opportunity to do with the article. Um, so I, I guess I want to start by asking you, what's your favorite walk-off home run of all time? Of any, any Yankees game in history, what's one that had a, had a special memory uh, for you? I know you've been to a few of the walk-off home runs um, in person. So was it one of those or was it another one? What are your What's your walk-off history like? That That's a good question, Whipple. So, yeah, I mean, I'll start with the ones that I've attended. Um I was at the Mike Ford game against the A's in 2019. I had just moved to New York and um, went to that game. And I was so excited that Clint was going to come up um, and have the potential to walk it off. Of course, they pinch hit Ford for him and he hit the walk off. And that was really cool because it was the back-to-back homers uh, with, with Brett Gardner off Liam Hendricks, which is so much fun. Uh, I was at a game in 20... I can't remember if it was 2017 or 2018. Brett Gardner hit a walk-off single against the Rays. Um, That was cool. That was my grandparents' first time at Yankee Stadium, uh, the new Yankee Stadium. Uh, And then I attended a while back. I guess it would have been in 06 or 07. A-Rod hit a walk-off home run, an absolute bomb against the Braves, which which was pretty sick. That was a cool game to go to um I think that exhausts my walk-off history with the Yankees at least in person um as far as my favorite walk-off like so I can tell you that the first Yankees classics I ever watched was the Jeter walk-off in the World Series against the Diamondbacks and I just think that's like one of the coolest moments in baseball history um but as far as recent walk-offs go, um, I streamed the Gary walk-off against the Twins from, like, the top of this hike in Spain uh, with a bunch of Twins fans. So that was that was a kind of just a cool personal moment. Um, and as you know, I'm a huge Gary Sanchez fan, but... I think my favorite walk-off period is probably the walk-off home run that Aaron Judge is going to hit next week. Love love to, uh, instead of reminiscing, pre, pre-reminisce about walk-off home runs. That's my favorite pastime. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, no, I, I think all of the ones you said, I, I also have fond memories of. Um, the Gary home run against the Twins is on the list that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, so as for my personal walk-off history i've been to four walk-off games none of them were homers but the first one i went to is actually not a yankees game it was angels versus mariners in anaheim 
and zero zero is that the game where you saw duff mckagan that was not the game but that was also an angels mariners game in anaheim uh <laughs> i've been to three angels games in anaheim one of them was against the yankees and uh kendrick morales homered off java and the other two were angels mariners games so there you go this was i think a few weeks before mike trout was called up but vernon wells hit a walk-off single so it does tie into the yankees as he would make his way to new york a few years later but he, he had a walk-off single, so that was uh, the first walk-off I'd been to. Then I went to Hideki Matsui uh, Appreciation Day in 2013, which is probably still my favorite game of all time. It was, that was such a cool game. It was awesome. Aside from Matsui's uh, the ceremony for him, Jeter came back off the, the IL. with um, That was the year um, where he was coming off a lot of injuries. So that was his season debut, and he homered on the first pitch he saw. And that was maybe the loudest I've heard Yankee Stadium. And Alfonso Soriano hit a walk-off single in that game. That was his part of his return tour. Um, so that was a fun one. Then the next year, I saw Martin Prado hit a walk-off single against the White Sox. And two years ago, um, against the Blue Jays, I saw Glaber hit one of his walk-off singles. So obviously, Glaber famously clutch and he also had another home run that made our list but yeah that was that was one of the more fun games i had been to as well because james paxton put them in a five nothing hole and it was one of the one of the best comebacks i've definitely seen um so in terms of the best one the one that i reminisce most fondly about i think i probably have two um three because one of them isn't a walk-off home run and the one that wasn't a walk-off home run was the luis castillo drop pop-up that we just hit the uh, the anniversary oh of that. What probably the craziest ending to a game that you can imagine. And I remember I like was about to turn the TV off. I looked away, and then my my parents yelled, and I looked back, and all mayhem had broken loose on the field. Just one of those moments that you know you can't predict baseball. Um, just one of the greatest games in baseball history. Truly, truly. And then in terms of walk off home runs, I think Teixeira's in. Um, the 20, 2009 ALDS because absolutely with A-Rod's game tying home run, David Robertson's Houdini act, and then Tex lining the ball down the left field line. Uh, just one of the best games I think I, I had watched. And that was uh, just I, a super tough series to be Joe Nathan. Joe Nathan had a tough time, had a tough time. Joe Nathan. Career. I hope Joe Nathan goes into the hall of fame as a Yankee. <laughs> they, they really did own him in a very special sort of way. Um, and then the, the other one, I think this is my all-time favorite. It's Raul. Raul Ibanez, 2012. Oh, my gosh. Just nothing but love for that man. Um, when he tied the game, when he won the game, when he went on his world-beating streak, really, aside from 2009 and the more recent Yankees teams, the, the 2017, 2019 teams, 2012 was just one of my favorite teams for no other reason that you had uh, Raul Abanez coming from his baseball grave to basically single-handedly carry the Yankees through that uh, ALDS. Just such a such a fun experience to follow that. Um, and I know you you have fond memories of that one as well. R-A-U. <laughs> R-A-U indeed. Um, so yeah, so the other thing I wanted to ask you more specifically to the list, and you talked about one of them already, um, just going through some of the more recent walk-off uh, home runs, that's specifically what I ranked for that list. Um, and the Gary one against the Twins did top that list. I think that was one of the 
more exciting as it should games. hot gary summer hot gary summer is there another one you want to pick from that list um that stuck out to you in the last few years uh, I, you have talked about two of them with the mike ford one are there any other ones that resonate with you yeah, I mean, I, I could very easily talk about three more. I think um, both of Clint's walk-offs, which, as you highlighted, came in like very similar situations where the team was kind of back against the wall, struggling, and um, he just came up and won them really big games in really big spots. Uh, so both against the Rays and the Brewers, and then... Uh, it was the game against the Orioles where they went down nine to one, uh, and Holiday ended up hitting that home run. Where uh, that was the first time in 2017 that I was like, "Oh God, like these guys, these guys are really good." Like I remember texting you early in that season and saying, "Why did they sign Aroldis Chapman?" They're rebuilding. The way you rebuild is not giving a bunch of money to an elite closer. And then this game happened. And honestly, like for me, the sickest moment in that game was the Castro home run where he went down to one knee. Completely and agree. I was, that was mirroring exactly what I was going to say. That was like one of the coolest moments in recent Yankees history was that Starlin Castro home run. And then when Holiday came up and won the game, I was just like, oh, baby. Like, this team is really doing something. Um, and then there are a couple home runs that didn't make the list by virtue of not being walk-offs that I feel like merit us discussing from the same time frame. So there was um, the holiday home run off Kimbrell at Fenway when Kimbrell had some absurd streak going of not giving up home runs to right-handed batters on, like, the weirdest game of all time that the Yankees ended up winning in extra innings. Um and then the other one, of course, is Gary Sanchez's pinch hit grand slam from last year, which was in the last inning of a game when the Yankees were wearing pinstripes, when the Yankees were playing at Yankee Stadium, but was not a walk off because it was just stupid COVID ball and they were the away team. 2020 is just going to be one of those years that has so many weird moments like that. Um, but yeah, I agree. I agree with all that. Another one I'd like to add actually is Brett Gardner's home run in uh, Wrigley Field in the 2017 season. Oh, how could I not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, game tying two outs. And that was another moment where you're like, okay, this team could be something special. Um, yeah, I think the holiday home run, the Castro home run, that game specifically was, if we were ranking games, that would have topped the list. Um, no doubt. For sure. That when I still remember I was in my college dorm, I was an RA and I had to be on duty that night and I was just doing my rounds in between the rounds I was watching on my phone and uh, when so I, I really wasn't I couldn't go out. It was a Friday night and I was, you know, as, as a college kid might feeling uh, a little a little down about that. But when Castro hit the home run and all hell broke loose at Yankee Stadium after a holiday one, I was just jumping up and down. I'm like this is the greatest thing. I'm so glad I saw this. And yeah, just one of the most incredible comebacks um, from recent memory. But there's been been a lot of uh, really fun home runs. Um, one other one that just came to mind, and I've talked about this before, um, really overshadowed by Jose Altuve's home run after. But how about DJ LeMayhew's home run in the 2019 ALCS? That was one of the crazier moments. I think really came very close to going down in Yankees history. But um, it, like we saw this weekend, DJ just has the ability to 
always give you a good at bat in clutch situations. And that home run was um, almost season saving for them. And you know what, Whipple, while we're at it, uh, Greg Bird in the 2017 ALDS off Andrew Miller. I mean, you want to talk about an unlikely hero. The fact that Greg Bird came and like, it's just everything about it. It's the way the camera angle made it look like he hit the ball out of the stadium. It was everyone going nuts. It was the game that Tanaka pitched that day. It was, wasn't that the same game where Aaron Judge brought back the Lindor home run and you got the great shot of Zach Hample? Like, I mean, just everything about that game. And then the fact that it somehow all led up to Greg Bird. Like, it just doesn't make any sense, but that was such a such a cool one. And while we're just on, like, the reminisce about cool Homer train, um, you gotta, you gotta mention Greg Bird on that list. Yeah, no, and then that, I mean, there's another home run from, the, the last one I think we can mention from the 2017 playoffs was Didi's home run in the wildcard game. Greg Bird's home run in the, in the ALDS and Didi's three-run home run to uh, come back and tie the game that first inning, I think were two of the standout moments from that uh, postseason. And yeah, just a really fun to remember um, some remember some home runs, um, some clutch home runs, some walk off home runs. Um, and this is super fun. I think in the future we'll definitely try to do something like this again, maybe for great pitching performances, maybe for more of a games aspects, um, so we can talk about some of the more crazier games of the last few years, but. Um, yeah, whenever you're down about the Yankees, I think it's the best medicine to just go and remember that this team's been really good over the last few years. They're going to continue to be good because they're the Yankees. And even if they have a few bumps in the road, you know they're going to go out and get guys who are going to make memorable moments. And uh, I look forward to seeing, like you said, what Aaron Judge walk-off home runs are in store for us in the next few weeks. Absolutely. And if we're going to do pitching performances, you're going to need to write that because if I write it, it's going to be just the 10 best starts by Masahiro Tanaka, which is an article that only I want to read. Um, But yeah, no, absolutely. This is, it's important to remember how good this team has been and the potential that they have to continue to be that good this year. Uh, And this was, this was absolutely a great way to do it. So Whipple, I think it's a good time now just for us to recall, you know, first of all, what's gone up on the site. We have, you know, series recaps of both the series that happened this week plus your phenomenal uh, ranking of the best walk-offs from the last few years. Um, and then, you know, we always end our podcast with our confidence in this team. And um, I may have a retraction to issue, but I'll let you go first. Well... I'm going to leave my confidence at 6.5. Um, it dipped last week. I think that the dip was warranted given what happened this week. Um, like I said last week, um, this week was more of, um, I, I guess there were positives, there were negatives, but nothing was really going to change this week. I, I think that it could have gone better, but also it could have gone worse. It kind of was, it stayed the same. There was good parts, there were bad parts. Uh, I think next week's going to be very telling because these games against the Blue Jays are going to be very important. Um, you know, I know we're looking at the Yankees, or sorry, the Red Sox and the Rays, but the Blue Jays are now ahead of the Yankees, and they need to pick up some wins against uh, Toronto, and they're going to also play a good Oakland team this weekend. And those are teams that, if they have a good week, you know, we could see the the confidence start to rise. But I, I think that right now I'm going to hold hold firm and 
Um, if things don't go well again this week, I think that's when I'll probably drop the rankings the, or my uh, fan confidence. Um, but that's, that's where I am. I'm going to stay at a 6.5. You know, Whipple, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, the Yankees have shown us just a very kind of mercurial team this year. They're very up and down. You can't pin down kind of what they are or aren't because they might go win, you know, 18 out of 25 and then lose 10 out of 15. Um, And that makes it tough to really figure out, you know, what their identity is. Combine that with the injury is it's just been really hard to figure out, like, what is this team? So I'm right there with you at six and a half. I think it's where they I think it's what they've earned so far. You know, they have a lot of potential. We've seen at different points the offense really explode and the pitching really show up. We haven't seen them you know do those at the same time so much. Uh and we're waiting for that and we think that, you know, with Britain back and Luke Voigt coming back, we may you know be moving in that direction. But I think 6.5 is the right place to be. Uh and this is you know, as every week is now, this is a big week. Um, you know, they have the Blue Jays and the A's, both of whom are quite good, and the Yankees need to start showing up in these games. And, uh, you know, I'm very interested to see where we are next Sunday and how we're feeling about all of this because I just have no way to pin down what I'm expecting. Um So Whipple, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thanks to everyone for listening. We got at Yankees Files on Twitter. Make sure to follow us, yankeesfiles.com. Make sure to check out everything that's going up on the website. We should have a fun article about Tyler Wade up tomorrow with a preview of the series up in Buffalo, ready to go on Tuesday. Any parting shots from you, Whipple? Uh, you know, the, um, the twins and the Phillies were, were just the beginning of, um, you know, I, I think that, um, I think the Twins and the Phillies were kind of the the stepping stones that the Yankees need to get over. We know that they can beat the Twins. Let's not worry about the Phillies series. It was just two games. Like you said, this is it. You know, the Blue Jays, the A's, the Red Sox next week. They need to show up against these teams. Um, so let's hope that the, the offensive turnaround that they showed is something real and that they can build on that. The pitching can get back to where it is. And they just start bopping like they were this week. That's that's my parting shot. The boys are bopping again. That makes me happy. Absolutely. I love it. Well, at Yankees Files on Twitter, YankeesFiles.com. Make sure to check us out. We'll have another podcast for you next weekend. Until then, let's go Yankees.